Our second scripture passage this morning comes from the book of Exodus. Uh, if you'd like to follow along, that's on page 55 of your Red Pew Bible. If you brought your own Bible, you're on your own. Uh, Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 and 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Remember that part. Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Let's turn the page now to verse, or chapter 14, verses 9 through 18. Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 9. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pi-Haroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff. And stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And then skipping over to the final verse of chapter 14, verse 31. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. The very word of God. Thanks be to God. Uh, children, if you'd like to go now to a time of worship uh, prepared especially for you, uh, your teachers will meet you in the back. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. Uh, we ask now, God, that you 
be with us as we um, as we discuss it, as we as we ponder it, as we turn our hearts and minds toward you, God. And uh, I just pray, God, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, would be pleasing unto you, O oh God. We love you, and we thank you most of all for Jesus. We pray this in His name, Amen. There are cough drops everywhere up here. I don't know what's going on. I've been, I'm sitting here fiddling with these cough drops. Ricola. Um, sorry. So uh, we're picking up this week where we left off last week. Um, this miracle of God leading his people out of bondage. Uh, incidentally, a bondage they entered into over generations uh, at first willingly and then not so willingly. Um, there's a series by a guy named Ray Vanderlaan who many of you are familiar with and, and know and love. He's a theologian that does these video series on these trips he takes to the east, which are wonderful because uh, you can go tour Egypt and not have to actually go to Egypt. Um, but he, uh, his series on the Exodus, he says, you know, the the, is, the, is, the people of Israel bought into the Egyptian story, even to the point where they were worshiping Egyptian gods, etc. And and so God leads them out of this. Um, and so today we um, we find ourselves at a, a story that we're very familiar with, uh, many of us, where they, they God leads them. He, he says, you know, it's, it, God's word says he could have taken them a different way. Uh, that was that was close, but he didn't because he was afraid if they saw the war going on that they might be afraid and they might go back and they might want to go back to Israel. Well, it turns out that's what they wanted to do anyway, huh? <laughs> even even going through um, the sea, even going in the different direction, they they wanted to go back to what was comfortable. They wanted to go back to what they were used to, even though what they were used to wasn't that great. It was still more comfortable than the unknown. Um, it, that, that certainly resonates with me. I, I imagine that resonates with many of you. Um, the people of Israel see the Egyptians pursuing them. And, you know, I don't really have a basis of comparison for seeing armed Egyptians coming at me in chariots. So I, I'm hesitant to judge uh, the Israelites' fear. Um, but they became afraid. And when they became afraid, um, the Bible says they called out to the Lord, which is a good thing to do when you become afraid. Call out to the Lord. And then immediately after they called out to the Lord, they turned on the Lord's man and said, what are you doing? Why did you bring us out here? Things were not that bad in Egypt. They were okay. I mean, there was some slavery, but it was okay. Other than that, um, they they immediately wanted to go back. They immediately began to doubt Moses and criticize Moses. Um, and then, even in the midst of this miracle, they have these they have these pillars of cloud before them and behind them, guiding them through. It's almost because God knows that we are visual. He knows that we have a hard time with things that are not tangible, things we can't see and touch, smell, taste. So God gives them a visual representation of himself. And even then, it was hard. It was hard. 
We'll talk about why that is in a minute. Um, and then as they watch, as they lose, as they begin to lose faith, and Moses says, no, 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 don't look away yet. Watch. They see God throw the Egyptian forces into the midst of the sea. And they see God hear their cry, answer their cry, and deliver them. In the passage that we read in Isaiah, um, Isaiah talks about God being with you as you go through the waters. Isaiah is reminding the people that, remember the God that fought for us so many years ago? This is that same God. And so and so I, I say to myself and to you this morning, the God that is with us here this morning is that same God who fought for us years ago and continues to fight for us every single day. The people of Israel find themselves this morning at what they perceive to be a dead end. I mean, I've never, I've never seen uh, the Red Sea. Some of you have. Uh, I've certainly seen a, I've certainly seen it on a map, and it appears to be a very large body of water. Um, I can understand why they thought they were at um, a dead end with with nowhere to go, and and they have this guy who's saying God brought us here. God brought us to this dead end. But I think that that's the important thing to remember is that God did bring them there. God led them there. You may find yourself this morning in a situation where you feel like it's a dead end, where you feel like there's no place to go, but you also somehow feel like God led you there. That's a real thing. There's never a time throughout all the hardship of the Exodus, all the hardship of this journey out of Egypt, where God was not completely in control. And yet, from the Israelites' perspective, I can understand why they thought maybe he wasn't. If I, if I really think about that the way that I should, then the message to us this morning, I think, is that there's never a time in our life where God is not completely in control. We make our own decisions. Sometimes they're awful decisions. Sometimes they're good decisions. But God has the power to redirect our steps at any time, right? God had the power to stop Israel from buying into the Egyptian story. I mean, God led Israel into Egypt. But he led them there so that they would make his name known in Egypt. That's just not what they did. They, they bought into working for Pharaoh and, and being paid by Pharaoh and living sort of kind of a cushy life for, for many years. And then it sort of turned bad. Um, the, the Bible says that there, there was a, Pharaoh who came into power who did not remember Joseph. He didn't remember the the, the deals with the Hebrew people. And he kind of said, you know, we've got this whole mass of people here. Why aren't we using them? Um, God didn't stop it from happening. But he could have. But what sounds better to you? A God who steps in and, and yanks you up 
from where you're not supposed to be and sets you down over here and says, now don't do that again. Or a God who comes in and makes a way in love, who hears the cry of his people and saves them from bondage. See, one of those two things changes lives, and the other one um, that really just means they're probably going to go right back and do it again. I mean, think, think about your kids. If your kids learn a lesson in whatever's going on, they're less likely to go back and do it again. But if you just yank them up and say, okay, now, now don't go over there, what do many kids want to go back and do? They don't want to go over there. You know, if you draw a line and say, okay, you can't play past that line, where are the kids going to play? Right on the line. And by kids, I mean us. <laughs> by kids, I mean me. Um, one, one of those views of God shows love. A God who hears the cry of his people and and rescues his people, shows love. The other one is sort of all about rule following. And rule following doesn't make a relationship. Love does. Love makes a relationship. Um, God allows us to make our own choices so that in the end, we can see him more clearly and we can feel his love more abundantly. Because we don't, we don't feel a lot of love if all we're doing is just following rules and checking boxes. And like I said, we do the same with our own children. We see them in a situation where, where, where they could fall, where they could get hurt. And sometimes we let it happen. Sometimes husbands let it happen. And wives stand next to them and go, get them down from there. Don't let them do that. Don't, why did you build that ramp for him to do that? Um, just one of the many differences between husbands and wives. But we see these situations where kids could get hurt and we let it happen. Because we know, because we've been there, that on the other side of it is something better. That sometimes they have to learn the lesson. Um, and I have a 15-year-old right now. And, and many of you have given me much advice, uh, which I very much appreciate. Um, and some of it... W- was statements like that that I didn't really want to hear because I just want to keep him safe. And some of you have said, don't worry as much about his safety as about what can be learned from this. Whew, that's hard truth. Man. It's incredibly difficult for us to think about some of the things that have happened to us in our life knowing that God had the power to stop it, and he didn't. That's one of the hardest things to understand about a sovereign God, is that if God is all-loving and all-powerful, if God is sovereign, then why? Then why? Paul says in Romans 8, verses 16 and 17, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Paul says something we never want to hear. If we want to share in Christ's glory, we also share in Christ's suffering. 
it's that second part that we that we don't want. I don't want. I don't. I don't desire to suffer. Um, but I can say that in times in my life when I have suffered, I have seen Christ more clearly. I've, I've grown closer to Him. So the Word testifies that it, that it is true. Um, to me, what Paul says is that at times there will be pain. There will be pain. And uh, we were talking in Sunday school, um, and you know, I I don't like I don't like that part of it. I don't want there to be pain. I don't want there to be pain for me. I don't want there to be pain for you. Um, what I desire, if I'm being honest, is clear skies and smooth waters. That's really what I want. I don't want suffering. Um, but somehow I know that I will never fully know the goodness and love of God if all I ever have are clear skies and smooth waters. I'll never really know how much he loves me if all I have are wonderful, great, good, perfect experiences. Um, because I know myself well enough to know that I will just take those experiences for granted. Um, and I, I, I tend to not seek God as much when things are going really, really well. Um, even knowing that God is in complete control, I don't like when things go south. I just don't. I think probably all of us could agree on that. I don't think, if I said, raise your hand if you enjoy suffering, I don't think that there would be a lot of people going, <laughs> I hope I have some today. No, I don't, I don't think so. And in the same way, you know, many of us in this room, all of us in this room, have seen God do some tremendous things in our lives and in the lives of others, in the lives of this congregation. Um, in the same way the people of Israel at this point in our story have seen God do some amazing things. Uh, through Moses, particularly. Um, but they've also just seen God do some amazing things to free them from this bondage. And yet still their initial reaction is to embrace fear and turn on Moses out of fear. Just as our, our initial reaction sometimes is to embrace fear and turn on God. God, what are you doing here? What, why did you choose to do it this way? Why, why couldn't it have been this other way? I was praying for this other way. Why couldn't we have done it that way? Why did it have to be done this way? We've all prayed those prayers. And I, I, let me pause here and just say those prayers are okay to pray. Because he's big and he can take it. And we need to work through that with God. Um. It doesn't make sense that they, that they cry out to God and then turn on God's servant. But honestly, it, it mirrors our own lives. We, we come to church on Sunday or, or we go to Bible study throughout the week or whatever. We acknowledge that God is in control. And then we encounter something during the week that kind of takes things off the rails. Things don't sail as smooth. And we say, God, what are you doing? Where are you in this? We embrace fear and we turn.
Panic is a horrible feeling. It steals your joy immediately. Immediately. It's an out-of-control, fearful feeling. In fact, I think the difference between panic and, and fear is that, you know, and panic is just this total chaotic, out-of-control. Panic says, I'm not going to make it through this. This is it. I'm not, I'm not going to make it through. Any of you who have ever had a panic attack know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, you think, uh, this is it. I'm, I'm done. Um, and, and it's often not even rational to think that. And, but the fear takes over and, and you're along for the ride. But God does not desire for us to panic. Just as God did not desire for Israel to panic. In fact, God's word says he took them by a different way so that they wouldn't panic, so that they wouldn't see the war and, and the might of Egypt and, the, and they, they wouldn't be scared and panic and turn back. He desires for us to trust him, to know that he's in control, and to let him be in control. Um, panic leads us to shove God out of the driver's seat, to plant ourselves firmly in the driver's seat. As if we could do a better job. That sounds ridiculous. But we do it all the time. Because it doesn't sound ridiculous in the moment. In the presence of fear it doesn't sound ridiculous. Because when we feel out of control. We feel more comfortable if someone is in control. Um, even and sometimes especially if it means that it's us instead of God. Because with God. Well who knows what he might do. I think of uh, being in driver's ed in high school, and I was not the best driver, let's say, when I first started. Um, and I remember my uh, driver's ed teacher, hit, you know, they have this extra brake pedal over here. Uh, and, and he used it a lot. Uh, and, uh, and, and at times, he then put someone else in the driver's seat. Um, many times I wish I had an, an extra brake pedal to just say, God, t- t- slow down. I'm not ready for this yet. Slow down. Let's move at my pace. Let's move at my speed. Please. The best way to remember that God is in control is to live by faith. We talk about that a lot, but it's so hard. Living by faith is so hard because, again, we're tangible people. We like things that that engage one or more of our five senses. And, in fact, the, the culture says, science usually says, if we can't see it, taste it, touch it, smell it, it doesn't exist. And so it's hard to trust God sometimes because you can't just reach out and, and grab his hand. You want to, and in a way you can in prayer. I mean, there have certainly been times where I've been praying, and and I would swear that I felt God lay his hand on my shoulder. And and I'm not talking about some mystical thing. I I could just feel him there, but I can't just reach out and grab his hand. Um, I find it hard sometimes to live based on things I can't see and I can't touch because I'm I'm sort of a black and white person. 
I, you know, I'm an IT guy, so I get paid to fix things that are broken. So I'm, I'm very black and white. If something, in fact, it gets me in trouble all the time in my marriage because my wife will be telling me this is wrong or that's wrong. And I'm like, well, you know what we could do? We could do this. We could do this. And she's like, I don't need you to fix it. I just don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen. I'm a black and white person. And so I want things in my life to be pretty concrete. And when they're not, when they're not tangible, when they're not concrete, it's hard for me um, because I have trust issues. I, I have some trust issues with people. I have a lot of trust issues with God. It's hard to trust God. It's hard to walk through life and hold God's hand. And when you, that's why when we see somebody who does trust God in a, in a situation, we go, wow. I mean, it blows us away. And we're convicted by it and impressed by it. And it, I don't know, it's just, it, it's amazing to us because we all struggle with it. When the people of Israel began to have trust issues, Moses told them to do three things. Don't be afraid. Stand firm. And see what God does. Moses said, fear not. They're saying all these awful things to him. Why did you do this? You know, you can read between the lines. You put it in modern language. You idiot. What were you thinking? Moses sees right past that, right past that, and goes directly to the heart issue and addresses their fear because he can see they're incredibly afraid. Many of us, when we get afraid, we get very irritable. He doesn't focus on the things they were saying. He goes right to the heart of the matter, and he he addresses the heart condition. And for me, it underscores how focused on God, how rooted Moses was, at this point in time, we've talked a lot in this story about how Moses had all these issues. Moses was a mess in a lot of different ways. But in this particular situation, he was so focused and so rooted that when the people started to lose themselves, he was able to be that anchor and say, it, it's going to be okay. You don't, don't be afraid. God led us here. Don't be afraid. He told them to stand firm. He says... If God brought us to this place, then it's okay. Stay here and watch what God does. But just because we're right where God wants us to be doesn't mean it won't be scary. In fact, for many of us, we would say the opposite. We would say every time God takes me someplace new, it's scary because it grows us. It doesn't say scary forever, but it is at first for sure. But just because it's scary doesn't mean it's not safe. I can think of no safer place to be than to be sheltered by the arms of Almighty God. But here's my confession is I want I I des- I desire for God to be safe. My version of safe. I want God to move only within my comfort zone, only within the boundaries that I set up. But here's the problem is that that's not God. That's not how he operates. It's not how he's ever operated. Nowhere in this book does he operate that way. So how could I expect him to do that for me? Um, And he doesn't operate that way because if he did, 
that we would never grow, that we would never come to know him the way that he wants us to, and we would never become the people that he created us to be. Never. And so Moses says, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Moses says, I know what you see right now is scary. I know all this going around, going on around us is scary. I know those Egyptians look terrifying. But keep watching. Don't look away. You're about to see something far greater than the power of Pharaoh's army. I hate roller coasters, if you'll go with me on this bunny trail. I hate log flumes. I hate those great big tall slides they have at the fair where you, you know. I hate the sensation of falling is what I hate. Um, also not just a huge fan of airplanes because they could fall. Um, we've got a picture at home that my wife and my oldest son love. Um, I, was, I say only they love. Um about 10 years ago, we took Isaiah to Disney World for the first time. And we were, there's a ride down there called Splash Mountain. Any of you who have been to Disney World know what I'm talking about. So we get in line for this thing. Um, the only time I've ever been in line for this particular ride. And the only time I will ever be in line for this particular ride. And as I'm walking through the line, I keep seeing these signs about there being a 50-foot drop. And I'm thinking, it didn't look that big. And each of these signs about this 50-foot drop is next to a door that people kept referring to as chicken exits. And then I pass a sign that says, don't ride this ride if you have the following heart conditions. And I'm thinking, do I have a heart condition? What if I do and I don't know that I have a heart condition? And, of course, you know what my wife said. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. So I now hate Splash Mountain. Um, because when you walk up to this thing, you see people joyously coming down this gigantic drop. And they're screaming and they're laughing. And when you get on this thing, you kind of loop around and you think, okay, it's looping us around to this big thing and then it's going to be over. No, no. No, there's like three, four, five different drops in this thing, most of them in the dark. Um, in this picture in our living room, they take your picture as you're going down the big drop because that's when you look the most ridiculous. And the picture in our living room shows me going down the drop with my teeth gritted and my eyes squeezed shut. And I, I, my son and my wife think this is the funniest thing ever. And they love to tell people that, that I've never met before about this thing um, because because they just treat me terribly. This is a cry for help. Um, <laughs> it is funny. Uh, it, it was and it, it, it was uh, <laughs> when I saw the picture. I I did agree to purchase the picture uh, and the frame for the picture so that we could prominently display my fear. Um, but my point in this bunny trail is that, you know, there was a lot to enjoy in that experience and I didn't enjoy any of it because I largely had my eyes shut. 
I largely had a white knuckle grip on this log. This, and I thought, I hope this has been stress tested for large people, you know. But I, I, I didn't, I didn't see most of it because I was just so afraid, and my fear just took me right out of the moment. My, and, and our fear does the same thing to us with God. There's so many things that God takes us through that are enjoyable. And our fear takes us right out of the moment. Sometimes we come here on Sunday mornings and we're so afraid of something that's coming up in the week that it yanks us right out of worship. And that's terrible. That's unfortunate. I wish it didn't do that. But that's often how our fear works. I said earlier that there's never a moment in our lives when God is not completely in control, even on Splash Mountain. But I stumble over that a little bit, and, and many of you may as well, because I found myself I found myself in the midst of many situations where it seemed like no one was in control, um, where or it seemed like total out of control chaos. And then I saw later where God was. I saw later what God was doing, but I want to see now. I want to know what God's doing now. In fact, I want him to run it past me, um, if, if that would be okay. When we're scared, it's, it's just second nature for us to simply squeeze our eyes shut so we can't see the source of our fear, so that we can't see the chaos. I, I can't imagine what, what the Israelites were going through. I mean, God parts the water and even dries the ground so they can move quickly. I can't imagine what they must have been feeling. I would have been terrified because, oh my gosh, what is going on here? The power of God is, can be scary. But what would happen if when we're in the midst of those situations, we do exactly what Moses told them? Keep watching. See the salvation of the Lord. What if instead of closing our eyes, what if instead of trying to avoid this situation, we opened our eyes and we looked at what God was doing? We looked at how God was moving. We saw the miracles that God was performing. Moses says, don't look away. God has brought you here. Watch what he does. Look at why he brought you here. David Platt says, So think about the struggles that you're facing, the challenges you're walking through, the things in your life where you don't see a way out, you don't see a way through this or that obstacle. And this is where I just want to encourage you in prayer today to look to the God that fights for his people. And ask him for provision. Ask him to show his power in a way that can only be attributed to his glory. God's purpose in, in this passage is simply this. This whole thing was about Exodus 14 verse 4. Which says, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And he will pursue them, the Israelites. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am Lord. Which was the original mission when the Israelites went into Egypt to begin with. And God says, the Egypt, so that the Egyptians shall know that I am Lord.
nothing we go through is in vain. Nothing. I don't care what it is. I don't care how big or how small. Nothing is in vain. It is all so that he might be glorified. It is all so that we might glorify him. And as we glorify him, others see who God really is and they come to know him as well. Which is his ultimate desire. And I pray this morning that it's our ultimate desire too. Pray with me. Father, thank you again for your word. God, we, um, it, it's hard to pray a prayer that, to say thank you for these fearful situations you bring us through. Thank you for these chaotic situations you bring us through. Um, but God, many of us in this room can attest to the fact that when you have brought us through those situations, we have come out on the other side a stronger person. We've come out closer to you than we ever were because we saw you in a way that we never saw you before. God, when we see you move, just as the Israelites saw you throw the Egyptian force into the sea, that they, they believed their faith was strengthened. God, it's no different for us. And so, God, while we may not always thank you for those situations, we do thank you for the way that you walk with us no matter what. Whatever we face today, you will be with us. Whatever we face tomorrow, the rest of the week, the rest of our lives, God, you will be with us. You will be walking with us. We have only to remember that and to call on you. We love you, God. We thank you for the way that you take care of us. You are a good and perfect father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.